Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Headline in the Wall Street Journal. Accused Buffalo shooter was released, deemed not a danger in mental health evaluation last year. Well, obviously, somebody got it wrong. When the guy was 17, and we don't even mention his name on this program, apparently um, what happened is while he was in an online economics class last June, he ended up, I don't know, saying that he wanted to kill himself and or others. All right, this I think alerted some people. So he was taken to a mental health facility and he then said, oh, I was just kidding around. Like, yeah, that's what we kid around about, killing all sorts of other people. According to the shooter in things he posted afterwards, he said it was just a complete and total joke. Said he spent 20 hours in the emergency room, spoke to someone for 15 minutes, says this proved to me that the U.S. healthcare system is a joke. I got out of it because I stuck to my story that I was getting out of class and I just stupidly wrote that down. It was not a joke. I wrote it down because that's what I was planning to do. Wonderful. So in the 15-minute interview with the quote-unquote mental health professional, he was able to fool them, I guess, and they put him back out on the street, and then we all know what ended up happening in Buffalo. This is... This is part of the problem that's out there with like these red flag laws and, and all. And it, it's one of the underlying problems we have in this country with regard to dealing with dangerously mentally ill people. Because as a general rule, you can't lock folks up unless you are convinced that they are a danger to themselves or to others. The problem is the only way you really know that is, you know, once they actually go out and kill a whole bunch of people in a racially motivated hate crime or do something to themselves. The story in the Wall Street Journal says psychiatrists say such evaluations are an inexact science. Uh, in other words, they have no clue. <laughs> they just have absolutely no clue. See, to me, and I said this the other day, this is this is, this is where we got to go in our society because the criminals and the dangerously mentally ill criminals are clearly smarter or able to pull the wool over the eyes of the so-called psychiatric professionals. So here's my answer to this, and it's some of the things we need to start doing. In the case of the Buffalo shooter and many of the other shooters, they're, they're online. This is where these guys go, and, and they're in the dark corners or maybe sometimes the not-so-dark corners of the Internet, and they're posting all their crazy stuff, and they're writing you know, in online diaries where they're telling people that they, they fooled the mental health professionals and they really do intend to do these killings and they've been put back out on, on the streets. And my point has been for everybody out there that's ever done any online shopping, you go on the Internet and let's say you're you're looking to, to buy. I don't care what it is. You're, you're looking for a new laptop. So you, you type in, you know, Apple laptop because you want to see where it goes or you're looking to buy underwear or you're looking to buy dog food or whatever. You type those in. You make 
make a search for the next six months. Every time you turn on the computer, you will be bombarded with pop-up ads for laptops or dog food or um, underwear or, or whatever. If If our actions can be tracked so they know that I was searching for... I, I don't know, a, a pair of underwear that I wanted to buy or a laptop computer. If if that can be determined initially, you mean to tell me that we can't monitor some of this stuff so that when you have these people talking about how they're looking for guns or they're planning mass killings, that we, we can't see that and say, hey, you know, maybe maybe those mental health professionals, quote unquote, maybe they really got it wrong. Because no sooner was this kid released than he started posting other stuff, which suggested maybe there is some sort of issue here. So I have no problem, by the way, with red flag laws, but they're only as good as the the people that are willing to to enforce them. And I, I just think that there's a lot of this information that's out there that we don't learn about until after the person in this case has killed a bunch of people in Buffalo, but it was available beforehand. And, and we've got to do a better job of identifying that. And if they can tell that I'm looking for a laptop computer, shouldn't we be able to tell when somebody's posting in an online diary saying that they're really just trying to fool all the mental health professionals and they really do intend to kill a bunch of people? I, I just... The technology is there. Why don't we use it? All right, let us get started. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I appreciate that our politicians, and to an extent some people in law enforcement, really don't know what to do about the spiraling violence in, in Milwaukee, and in other urban areas. And so I appreciate that that people are kind of grasping at straws, and I also appreciate that there is no political will right now to start doing the things that I'm talking about doing, which is, for example, mandatory minimum penalties for felon in possessions of a firearm. You catch a felon with a gun, boom, put him in prison for three to five years. No parole, no excuses, do not pass go, do not collect $100, and do not be out on the streets with that gun that you're not supposed to have. But Right now, we don't have the political will to do that because there still is a certain segment of our population, the elite, the chattering class, who don't want to lock up dangerous people. And I, I don't know how many more murders and how many more shootings you're going to have to have before some people realize that you've got to get dangerous criminals off the street. But we'll, we'll wait till that day comes. So now we're, we're trying all sorts of other stuff. So one of the things that was proposed is, all right, we are going to, in Milwaukee, start enforcing an ordinance that has been on the books for, forever. And that is, there, there's a curfew for, for juveniles. Do you remember, when I was a kid growing up, at, at I think it was like 10 o'clock, right before the 10 o'clock news, there always used to be a TV thing saying that would come on and say, all right, parents, do you know where your children are? It's now time for the curfew. Well, in Milwaukee, there is a curfew that says, um essentially that you can't be out on the streets after 10 o'clock at night if you're under the age of 17. Okay, fine. That has never been enforced. Or if it's been enforced, it's been enforced extremely rarely. And so that's one of the things that leads to not say the, the the shootings on Water Street the other night because th- those were all people that were in their their twenties and stuff. But clearly, if you look at the number of cars that are stolen in the city of Milwaukee, they estimate that about fifty percent of the cars that are stolen are stolen by people sixteen and un- under. 
So there's no good reason for a 15 or 16 year old to be out on the street till two o'clock in the morning, right? Can we all agree with that? My standard line, you know, Wagner's rule of life number four is nothing good happens outside a strip club at two in the morning. Nothing good happens on the mean streets of Milwaukee if you're 16 years old and you're out on the streets, you know, at, after 10. That, that's just the bottom line. You're looking for, for trouble. So the, the new solution is we're going to enforce the curfew for people under the age of 17. Okay? All right. So that means that the police are going to be identifying the groups of kids and they're going to be, they're going to be do, doing something to them. So what, what do they do? What does the curfew law, as it's currently written, allow the police to do? It allows the police to give the curfew violator a ticket, a, a citation that uh, I think it's got like a, up to a $100 penalty. They can also, if they choose, they can issue a citation to the child's parents, and that citation can be up to $200. Okay? That's it. That, that's, that's it. They, they can't arrest them. They can't. So let's say you've got that that gang of of 16 year old kids that's out on the street. And what they're doing is they're looking to get into trouble and they're looking to steal cars. So you come upon them. You're the police officer. You can write them tickets. You can write them tickets that require them to either pay a fine or appear in court. All right. So hear me out. So let's say what happens is what we're inevitably know is going to happen. The kids tear up the tickets and, and run away. Okay, so then when they don't show up for court, the municipal court can issue a a warrant for them. All right. Because for failure to appear. So then the police can go out and they can try to find the same 14, 15, 16 year old. And they can say, okay, there's a warrant for you for failure to appear. The problem is that the Milwaukee County Jail doesn't accept people arrested on municipal warrants unless they committed another new crime. So if a cop issues a curfew ticket and the person doesn't show up or doesn't pay it, a warrant's issued. The officer could arrest the person on that warrant, but there's nowhere to take them. So they have to be let go and given a new court date. So you see there's this kind of endless cycle. It's this ultimate catch-22 of of no consequences. Now, I'm not... I guess I, I'm not against trying to enforce the curfew ordinance. Okay, that, that that's fine. It sounds good. But in the real world in 2022, is this going to make any difference at all? Unless you change the ordinance to allow the police to arrest curfew violators and, and detain them. 855-616-1620. With all due respect, giving these kids a ticket and expecting them to pay the money is absurd. It's not going to deter anything. Giving the parents a, a ticket. Well, if the parents cared about the kids in the first place, they wouldn't let them out on, you wouldn't let your 14 year old or 15 year old out on the street at 2 o'clock in the morning. What am I missing here? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, to me, this is virtue signaling. I mean, I, I, you've, okay, we're going to enforce the curfew. Okay, well, well that, that, that's great. Sounds real good, but what does that really mean? And I guess my position is if all the cops can do is give them a ticket for being out at 2 o'clock in the morning, well, oh, that's, that, that's, that's almost less than nothing. 855-616-1620. We discuss. 
Okay, so for the last couple of days, I've been seeing these screaming headlines. Oh, they're, they're going to start in the city of Milwaukee. This is how we're going to start dealing with these problems. We're going to go start cracking down on, on this old curfew law that's been on the books that for years and years and years and, and hasn't been enforced. And the curfew says, okay, if you're under the age of 17 and you're out on the streets after uh, after 10 o'clock at night, you, you can the, the police can intervene. What can they do? They can give you a ticket. Okay, I mean, seriously, they, they can't even, the, the jail, like I say, the jail won't take people for this. So all they can really do is give these kids a ticket. And they can give their parents a ticket, too. But if you don't pay the ticket, there's essentially no consequences for that. Because, yes, the court can, if you don't show up and don't pay the ticket, you can get a warrant for the arrest of the juvenile. So if you find them again, you can arrest them, but you can't take them to the jail because they won't take them unless you've committed an underlying crime. So it's this endless cycle of no consequences at all. Look, and I, I'm not against enforcing curfews and things like that, but if we're going to be serious about this, don't we have to start putting some teeth into it? Because I guarantee you, you give these 16-year-old punks that you catch out on the streets who are looking, they're out there looking to steal cars, for goodness sakes, like they're going to be deterred when they get a $90 ticket that they have no intention of paying. This is virtue signaling in the extreme. And nobody asks these questions. Well, what happens when when they get the ticket? Well, we're going to give them a ticket. Okay, well, what's explain to me how this whole thing works out. Let's start with Joshua in Northwest Milwaukee. Joshua, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, you know, you and I are 50-50 on on a lot of topics, but this one I'm with you this is a whole lot of lip service, and I'm not too sure what the benefit of it is. Uh, like, you, like you already said, the curfew, the curfew ordinance isn't new. Fine. If they're going to enforce it, okay, great. But I have a hard time believing that that's going to actually happen when, you know, I'm a DoorDash driver. I'm out in traffic all day, all night, almost every day. And I've seen yeah. all kinds of much more offensive situations happen than curfew that the police just turn a blind eye to. So if they're not doing anything about the reckless driving that's literally happening right in front of them in some time and in some cases, what what what? Yeah. Why would we think that they're going to do a no. little curfew ticket? Well, no, th- th- thanks. Even if they do, well, what difference yeah. does it make? No, thanks for the call, Josh. You know, you're 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 right. We have all right. The, the police will arrest somebody. That, let's let's talk about juveniles. They will arrest a 15 year old driving a stolen car who blows through a red light at 95 miles an hour, leads them on a chase, they will arrest them. They will then take him to juvenile detention and the kid will be released in two or three hours. Okay, that's for stealing a car, blowing through a red light, leading the cops on a chase. Okay, and the best you can do is is keep them in in detention for a couple hours they'll be turned loose sent back out on the street to steal another car the next night or two or three days later which we all know is is what happens in many many cases so that doesn't deter them so giving them a a ninety dollar ticket with no consequences at all. Now, maybe if we want to start talking about beefing up that ordinance and giving the police the right to arrest the kid who's out in violation of, of curfew and detain them, okay, maybe maybe then you're starting to talk about something, but just to give them a ticket, and, and yes, then I was reading one of the stories, well, we, we can also give the parents a ticket. The parents don't care about this largely. They don't, they, if, if they cared about anything, they'd let, they wouldn't have their kid out on the street at 2 o'clock in the morning. They don't care about this. They're not under control, and in many cases, the parents are probably out running the streets on, on their own. 
I, I appreciate that we've got to do stuff, but some of these things, they're just lip service. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I mean, to me, this is just impotent virtue signaling at its best. Here, we're going to tell people we're doing stuff because we're going to crack down on this and we're going to impose curfews. But then nobody asks the follow-up question, which is, okay, you catch the 15-year-olds, you give them the ticket, and then what happens? My guess is in the vast majority of cases, the kids will tear up the tickets, maybe in front of the cops, and walk away. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Al uh, in Kenosha. Al, you're on WTMJ. Yes, I'm in Sockville. Jeff, I got news for you. It's a little different than what you're thinking. When Carol Breyer was chief, if you were out on the street, you got picked up. You were taken to either the 1st District Station or to the 5th District Station, and you were held there until your parents came and got you. There was no ticket given out. And I'm telling you, I grew up in the 50s and 60s on the east side, and you worried about that. Because in those days, you just didn't get away with crap. Yeah, yeah, right. And and, and the bigger thing, I mean, thanks to the call out, and, and the bigger fear was going to be, you know, whatever the police would do to you, that's fine, but you don't want, I mean, you don't want that call, um, you know, Ann and Jack, young young Jeff Wagner doesn't want Ann and Jack Wagner showing up at one o'clock in the morning going, why, you know, you, you got arrested and picked up for being violation of curfew because, you know, that, that would be an awfully long ride home, you know, back to the house. But yeah, yeah, see, they're not talking about doing that. They're not talking about arresting them. They're not talking about detaining them at all. And like I say, under the law right now, I don't even, they, they, they can't. You, even, if, even if you get an arrest warrant issued for the juvenile offender for not showing up, the, the jail, and you go out and you arrest them the second time for not showing up, the jail won't take them because they don't take people who haven't been charged with something more than just a municipal warrant for failure to appear. It is this vicious cycle that's out there. And I, I, I look, I, I applaud the idea of trying to get juveniles off the street. Nothing good happens from gangs of kids roaming the streets of Milwaukee at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. You know if they're out there, they're looking for nothing but trouble. We all understand that okay that makes sense to me but still still this isn't the way to deal with it if you want to have an ordinance then let's have a serious talk about the ordinance let's put some teeth in it and let's allow the cops to get the kids off the street but i mean i I would argue first let's start with maybe giving them you know some teeth into the the criminal stuff to get them off the street as opposed to just giving them those tickets If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Sometimes there's stories that interest me that I I make reference to on Twitter because we don't necessarily have time to to get to them on the three-hour program and all. So a number of those postings that are up there. And and I do have this story that I'm just going to mention. Uh, It involves a guy named Donnie Darnell Williams. And I've got the the background of of Mr. Williams and, again, on on Twitter. But here's the bottom line. In, In 2000s, Back in 2000, he was convicted of armed robbery. Okay, so that's that. Now, I don't know about his juvenile record. Um, He was 21 years old when he was convicted of of armed robbery. My guess is maybe there was something in the juvenile past. But again, because juvenile records are largely secret, we we can't find that out. But anyhow, he, he was convicted of armed robbery. And he he was sentenced. I cannot tell from the documents what exactly the the sentence was, but whatever it was, it didn't work because in 2012, 
he was out on the street and he was charged with, let's see, uh, he was charged in October of 2011. So this is a guy, armed robber, charged in 2011 with possession of a firearm by a felon. And he's a repeater. He was, in fact, convicted of, of that. So he, he went to prison on, on that. So he gets out. Now, I have the court records in front of me. In September of 2021, he was charged with resisting an officer. Now, I, I don't know the circumstances behind resisting an officer, but he was promptly released on bail. The, the thing says, turn, oh, signature bond, signature bond. All right, wonderful. A uh, signature bond was set for him, and he was turned over for for supervision. So he was able to sign himself out. This is a multiple felon who is conv- who is now charged with resisting an officer, char- released on a $1,000 signature bond, which means he doesn't have to pay a, a dime. And he was turned over to Justice Point, which is the joke of the supervision service they have. Um, and he was told no possession of dangerous weapons or firearms. So they're going to let him loose. Now, this is a multiple felon who's who's done time on multiple occasions, and they say, okay, well, we're, we're going to turn him loose, but but don't don't have guns. Like, like that makes any difference at all. Now, why do I tell you the, the story of Donnie D. Williams? Because after being released on the signature bond and under supervision told don't have guns, Do you want to guess what he does? Let me give you three guesses, but the first two don't count. He jumps bail. So he's in the wind, had been in the wind pretty much, I think the sense I get is the last the court system saw him is when he signed that signature bond and headed out the door, I hope they got a picture of his rear end because that's the last they saw him as he was heading out the door. So he doesn't show up, he doesn't show up, he doesn't show up. Well, okay, you know, Jeff, maybe it's just resisting arrest. Maybe it's not necessarily that big a deal. Maybe it shouldn't have been a priority to keep him in jail. Well, here's the story as reported in the local newspaper. Prosecutors have charged Donnie D. Williams, 42-year-old Milwaukee man, who police say fired at least five shots at a Milwaukee officer during a foot chase. Donnie D. Williams was charged with attempted first-degree intentional homicide Wednesday in connection with the incident, which was first reported on the evening of May 10th on the 2800 block of North 23rd Street. Okay, officers responded to the report of a subject with a gun. Hmm, that that those those laws telling him he's a felon, he's not supposed to possess a gun, that doesn't work. And apparently the, the bail that he jumped on with the supervision requirement that said he wasn't have, supposed to have a gun, guess that didn't register. As officers responded to a report of a subject with a gun, they crossed paths with someone who matched the description of a gunman and gave chase on foot, according to the criminal complaint. After three blocks, an officer closed the gap to about 10 feet when the subject, allegedly Donnie D. Williams, turned around and started shooting at the officer. So now this guy who is out on the signature bond, multiple felony convictions, not supposed to have a gun, he's in a foot chase with the police, and he decides he's going to kill the cop and shoot his way out. The So he turns and fires shots at the officer's. The officer returned fire, dove for cover behind the car. Seven cases were recovered from the scene. The subject escaped, 
but would later was taken into custody according to online court records. Police identified the subject as Williams after speaking with one of his roommates. The roommate said he, Williams, and Williams' girlfriend were in an argument earlier that night and noticed that he was touching a pistol in his pocket. Huh. Again, the, the, that rule that, hey, you're, you're out on bail, you're not supposed to have a gun. Guess they weren't paying too much attention to that. The girlfriend then called the police. The roommate said Williams was wearing a red jacket and black pants when he left home after the 911 call was made. Police reviewed body cam footage of the foot pursuit and additional video surveillance showing the subject wearing a red jacket and black pants. The girlfriend was shown screen captures from the footage and identified Williams, the complete set. Complete says. So here you have a guy, multiple felons who is released on a stupid low bail that he promptly jumps and then shows up several months later trying to kill a police officer in a shootout. All right, what's wrong with this picture? No, let me change that question. What's right with this picture? And the answer is almost nothing. Get another one of these examples of stupid low bails for people who have a lengthy criminal record, and not just a criminal record of, of small stuff, a criminal record of serious behavior, and then they jump bail, and then, you know, because you've let them out on this stupid low bail, they jump the bail, and then, gee, what do we think they're going to do? Well, should we be surprised when they end up trying to murder a police officer on the streets of Milwaukee? Maybe if we started concentrating on locking up these people who, by their criminal records, have demonstrated that they are dangerous, maybe, just maybe, we could make the streets a little bit safer. Is that too much to ask? I'm sorry, that's a rhetorical question. So very glad to have you with us. You know, I I, I, underst- I understand that, that there's still some people that are caught up over the, the 2020 election and the, the stop the steal stuff and, and things like that. And I, I've I continue to believe it is important for people to, to move on. And, and do, do I think there was overt fraud in the election in 2020? And my answer is no, I, I don't believe that. I, I do think that in Wisconsin, for example, you had some election clerks who chose to interpret Wisconsin election law in such a way that would would juice the turnout in their particular districts. And in many of those areas, they were the heavily Democratic areas, which I think enhanced turnout for voters who were going to largely support Joe Biden. That is not saying that I think that there was fraud. When I hear fraud, I'm talking about, like, dead people vote. I'm talking about, like, how Lyndon Johnson got elected to the Senate and things like that, or, like, the, the Richard Daley stuff out of Chicago where, you know, you've got dead people that somehow miraculously rise up and vote. I, I think that there were there were interpretations of election law, which I believe were ultimately incorrect, that were made, which, again, helped juice turnout, which led to perhaps more Biden voters turning out. But that's not to say that there's fraud. And to me, what the way you deal with that is you, you say, okay, we've got to change the laws or we've got to get determinations from the state Supreme Court as to what these election laws really mean, and then we've got to expect our election officials to, to follow them. But, but I think in many respects, people have to move on and figure out how we're going to change stuff instead of continuing to just complain about what happened in, in 2020. Having said that, There are reasonable, common-sense things that we could do that should be non-controversial, and yet we're not doing them. 
One of those things is to allow absentee ballots to be counted early. The way it works in Wisconsin is, by law, the clerks cannot um, cannot start counting absentee ballots until after the um, after the the polls open. So in in busy areas like say the city of Milwaukee, you you get all these ballots that that come in from early voting or mail in voting or whatever, and they just sit there instead of being opened under supervision and thrown, put into you know one of the machines so that you can then hit a button when the polls open and tabulate them. They they just sit there. And that's led to all sorts of confusion because what happens in so many elections, especially where Wisconsin is close, you, you go to bed at, at 11 o'clock at night and Scott Walker is ahead by 80,000 votes. And then you wake up at 730 the next morning and you turn on the TV and you find that Governor that Tony Evers is the governor. And it, it, people think, well, it, it, where did all these ballots come from? Well, they, they, they were always there. They just hadn't been tabulated. And so it seems to me that Reasonable people should simply say, okay, we put in the appropriate safeguards, and I'm not saying you count them, but what you do is you put those ballots in the machines, you check to make sure they're valid, so that you don't have to wait a day or two to get results. You are starting to see that. There's another example of that. It's playing out in Pennsylvania. There is an extremely contested Republican primary for the the Republican seat for the Senate, and there's two... People that are there's actually three formidable candidates. Um, one is celebrity surgeon Mamet Oz, you know, Doctor Oz. He's running. He's been endorsed by by Donald Trump, and then former hedge fund executive David McCormick. He's running as well. And then there's a third candidate. But anyhow, the election was Tuesday. The race between Oz and McCormick is incredibly close. Matter of fact, after uh, 832,000 votes that are cast, the the difference is about 1,200. Oz is ahead by about 1,200 votes. But there's like 100,000 votes that are still out there waiting to be tabulated. And of those 100,000 possible votes, there's about 20,000 that they think were filed in the Republican primary. And those votes, those, those votes that haven't been counted yet, the mail-in ballots, et cetera, they're, they're, they're tending to go towards McCormick. So once these are all counted, it is not beyond the realm of possibility that that now it's about a 1,200 vote difference, that that 1,200 vote difference is going to be flip-flopped. I'm not making a prediction. I don't know. But we're not going to know these results for days. Whereas if you would have allowed the clerks to begin the process of opening these and tabulating them, I don't know that you wouldn't, you would have had all the votes that would have been tabulated by now, but you would have had a lot of them. So to me, you know, for, and, and of course, former President Trump is already out there. He's saying to, to, to Oz, he's saying, you should claim victory. And then if these new votes that are out there turn out to switch the results, that you can claim that you were defrauded. Well, no, they're out there. They just haven't been counted. My point is you can do reasonable things to get the darn things counted in the most timely fashion possible to avoid this thing of, hey, my guy was ahead. Now they found all these other ballots, and now my guy is behind. Well, they never found the ballots. The ballots have always been there. They just haven't been counted in a timely fashion. 
we we're going to see stuff like this continue to happen in Wisconsin until we give the clerks the authority to start counting them when they came in. By counting them, I don't mean actually giving out the results of, oh, Biden's ahead of Trump or vice versa. I mean just the process. You open them up, you verify them, you put the ballot in the machine, and then, you know, ultimately, once all the other ballots are in the machine, you hit the button and it tells you how they're tabulated. This is an easy thing we can do that should not be controversial to help I think, rebuild confidence in the electoral system. And my message to Republicans and Democrats is, on this issue, can't we get together? Really? Coming up in about 10 minutes, a prominent athlete in Green Bay alleges that he has been the victim of racial discrimination at a local restaurant. I'll tell you that story and we will get your reaction to it. Um, by the way, if, if you thought that I don't know. Maybe the criminals are, are getting the idea about all law enforcement and all the chattering class of politicians talking about cracking down on crime. Well, here's another story. Milwaukee police are investigating after a man was shot and killed while riding his bicycle through a neighborhood. It happened just after 7.30 a.m. Wednesday near North 38th Street and West Townsend Streets east of Fond du Lac Avenue. Medical examiner said the victim was a 21-year-old man. Police have not said what led to the shooting. Um, Channel 12 is out there saying to one of the neighbors, what what happened when you heard gunshots at 7.30 in the morning? You know, what what was your reaction? And the neighbor says, oh, just I hope it wasn't my child. So you got a guy on a bicycle at 7.30 in the morning who is gunned down on the mean streets of Milwaukee. I don't know what it takes to make it stop, but I, I will tell you what we're doing right now doesn't work. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, is this restaurant getting a bad rap? Current Green Bay Packers player Elton Jenkins, one of the offensive linemen, sent out a tweet two days ago on Tuesday about a visit he had to a restaurant up in Green Bay, a local restaurant called Vintage Cantina. Never been there. No, no, no clue where, where this is in Green Bay or whatever. Um, the tweet he sends out is, heard good re- reviews about Vintage Cantina just to find out that the man behind the bar is a racist. Right. He then follows that up by sending out another tweet saying, it was righteously my first time blatantly experiencing that BS. So, as we all know with with the Internet, first of all, when you you have one of these Internet rips of a business, it it gets attention. And then when you add into the fact that Green Bay is a relatively small town and you add into the fact that this is now a Green Bay Packer who's saying that he's a victim of racism at this, this business, you can imagine how the whole thing quickly goes nuclear. And then, of course, what happens is the restaurant's Facebook page or whatever, or Twitter account, they get bombarded by negative reviews and one-star things, um, even though you know people haven't ever, ever been there. So, uh, all right, so what, what's going on? Well, in this case, the village vintage cantina decides that it's, it's going to respond to this. And, and here's what they say precipitated this incident. We are aware of a tweet 
stemming from a misunderstanding with a guest. This was an unfortunate situation where a guest saw a table seated before them and thought they were being skipped. All right, in an effort to maximize our limited capacity in the wake of COVID, it is our company policy to only seat complete parties during peak business hours. The guest in question was part of an incomplete party, two of four, and was informed of the policy and offered seats at the bar while waiting for the rest of their party to arrive. In the meantime, a new complete party of five arrived and was promptly seated. We welcome an opportunity to discuss the matter further with the guest if they wish, and we apologize for any misunderstanding. So apparently, at least according to the restaurant, what happens is Packer player shows up with somebody else, and they say they want a table for four, but the other two people aren't there. The restaurant's policy is that we only seat complete parties. And so, all right, they say, okay, we, we can't seat you till the, the rest of your party is there. And so then what happens is somebody else comes in afterwards and says we've got a party of five, and all five are there, so they seat them. And the, the tweet implies that this was racist because presumably the, the player, the, the Elton Jenkins, is black. And so he looks at it and this as well, they, they, and I would assume that the party of five was white, so that they seat these other people ahead of us. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If, if that's really what this was, I mean, my response is, you know, g- give me a, give me a, a break um here you know he, then he does a follow-up tweet saying my intention was never to bash vintage castino to Catina as a business but to shed light on an issue with the bartender to avoid future problems All right our number 855-616-1620 which is the accurate mortgage talk and text line I, i'm sorry but i i think if if this is all it was that you see a complete party seated before your partial party and you're told what the restaurant's policy is I'm I'm not sympathetic at all, and to throw out these, well, it must be racism. I mean, really, my my response is give me a break. Now, I don't know about you, but I know several restaurants. For example, you know, we last time we were in Florida. We were in Florida. It's a very they're very very busy times, right? Especially like around spring break and stuff. If you're in Florida, and this is the standard practice at, at restaurants, even if you've got a reservation, if your reservation is for four people, like at seven o'clock, and you get there at six forty-five or whatever, and there's only two of you, they'll they'll send you over to the bar because. They're trying to turn tables. I mean, that's what the thought of this is. And based on sometimes their experience, I know the restaurants would say, well, what happened is, you know, people will come in and they'll have re- they'll have reservations for six. And uh, the first two will show up and they'll be seated at the table. And then they'll just sit there. And sometimes people are 15 minutes late or 30 minutes late or whatever. And we're losing that table while, you know, people, while the, the full party isn't there. So that's, that's the message behind this and I guess you you can disagree with that policy you can say well no I want to be seated regardless because I know the other people are going to show up but it's if it's a policy that a restaurant has that says all right you you cannot we're not going to seat you until your full party is there and you know they offer you seats at the bar instead and then you see another full party that comes in and they get seated while you're still waiting for your other two guests is 
Is there anything wrong with that? Does the is it racist? And I think I mean that's that's almost a self evident question. As long as they're enforcing that policy across the board, I, I, I don't. It's just. It's just a really cheap shot to assume it's racist. But is it unreasonable for a restaurant to have, I guess, a policy like this in the first place, saying your entire party needs to be here before you're going to be seated? And I guess my reaction to it would be, no, I I understand why the restaurants do this during peak time. I don't have an issue with it. But, you know, if, if I do have an issue with it, then my answer is to, to go somewhere else. But the, the reason they're doing it is they're, they're trying to turn tables and they don't want a, a table of six to be taken up by two people who are going to sit there and, and wait for 30 minutes for other people to show up. That That's that is their concern. And that's why they say we only seat full, full parties when the full table, when the, everybody is there. And there's lots and lots of restaurants that have that policy. You might not like it. You might want to get taken to your table, but I don't think it's unreasonable, and I certainly don't think it's racist for a restaurant to have that policy, if that is, in fact, what happened. 855-616-1620. What do you think? 855-616-1620. I mean, I, when, when I heard this story about the Packers player complaining that there was racism, and again, he, I, he's not, he says, well, the, the bartender was racist. This was just terrible. And, and I don't, there, there's no allegations that the bartender said anything racist to the, the Packer player. It was that, well, I came in and the, the, you know, we were waiting for a table and they seated this other group before us. And the restaurant says, as we explained to you, we only seat complete parties. You had a party of four. There were two of you there. And so we we make you wait until the other two are there. And, yes, a party of five came in after you. We, we seated them ahead of you, but but that's because the, they were all there. I, I was thinking there's a restaurant that I love in Fort Myers Beach called Flippers. And it's great seafood, great seafood place. They don't take reservations. What happens is you call up like an hour before you're going to be there, and they'll put you on a list. And so when you get there, you, you say, okay, we're, we're here. But their policy is exactly, like, okay, so you're, you're on the list. But if, if I've got a table of four and the other couple that we're going with isn't there yet, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, uh, Jeff, is your Mr. Wagner, is your party here? No, we're still waiting for him. Okay, fine. And then, then they move on to the next group and they they seat them and then when our party actually does show up that they they seat us so i mean we just it's kind of like you lose your turn because the restaurants small restaurants limited ability they're trying to turn tables and they don't want fran and i sitting at a table for you know 45 minutes waiting to order waiting for other for the other couple to arrive you can agree with that policy you can disagree with that policy but that that's the policy and they make it clear that that's what's going to happen and it sounds like that's what happened here and and yet the first reaction is well to play the race card on something like this 855-616-1620 julie in kenosha julie good afternoon Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I mean, does this policy make sense to you? Do you mean, do you understand why restaurants do it? I totally understand. It makes perfect sense that you can't seat a party until everyone is there. And I've even been at restaurants where I've been asked after an hour and a half to move along Mm -hmm. because in the era of COVID, they only have so many seats available for patrons. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, well, I've had that happen yeah. sometimes, too, where if the restaurant, and we, we always try to be mindful of that because my, my, my wife spent her entire career in the restaurant industry, and if we know that the place is really busy, for example, and, and we've finished our meal, a lot of times we'll, we'll get up and vacate the table, and then maybe we'll go over to the bar and, and have a drink or something, but we want to, you know, we want to help the restaurant turn those tables. And, and that's, that's all this is. It's, they say at busy times, what we're trying to do is make sure that we can get as many people served as possible and it strikes me as being perfectly reasonable i totally agree with you jeff and what i want to say is we had an incident recently here in kenosha um where somebody played the race card and if i could just briefly explain what happened um an african-american woman was picking up her child at uh, mahone middle school here in town and um, was parked illegally. And basically what happened in that instance is um, a gentleman asked her to move her car because it was illegally parked. She actually ended up pulling a weapon on this gentleman. And then um, when the police went to arrest her, she said the gentleman called her yeah, racial names. slurs. Yeah, okay. yeah, racial slurs, which was inaccurate because the middle school had a video camera that videotaped the entire interaction. So I guess my point, this is my point. We have enough legitimate racism in our communities. Please let's not play the race card for innocent situations. Yeah, right, right. Let's not play the race card for innocent situations. Right. No, thanks, Nicole, Julie. And and that's, see, that's what I was curious about this this story was, you know, was, was the bartender rude to the, to the Packers player? Did did he make racial slurs or something, which I found, I would find incredibly difficult to believe because my, my guess is you, you, you're, you're thrilled. If you're a business in Green Bay, you're thrilled if you're being patronized by, you know, like a Green Bay Packers player or, or something like that. So, I mean, that, that wasn't it. It appears to be just that they told him that they weren't going to seat him and they seated another table ahead of him. And they say, well, this, this is what this is. And this is why. And we told him, you know, here, you know, ha- have a seat at the bar, you know, once once the other two part part of your parties come people come in, you know you're going to be next on our list, and we'll, we'll get you the table. And that apparently wasn't good enough. And I guess it it is unfortunate that you get this reaction because, like I say, then this restaurant and I, I've never been to the restaurant. I don't know it from Adam, but I, I the, the they're they're getting you know national attention now. Oh, this is just absolutely terrible. But here you you weren't you know seating this guy, and and you must you know have this racist sort of policy where the policy is no, we're just not letting you have a table until everybody's here. Once everybody's here, we're glad to seat you, Jody in Waukesha. Jody, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jody. Um, I, my, my thought really is that maybe he was upset that he wasn't given better treatment because he was a Packer. Like, maybe he's used to... Sure, yeah, but the rules don't apply to you. Come on in, sir, sit down. Here, you sit here for another hour, for an hour and a half. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's just kind of... That's just kind of what I'm thinking happened there, but I could be wrong. But that's what that's, that was what sure. came. Do, do you have a problem with this policy? I mean, if you go to a restaurant and no. you you you've got reservations for six, and you're the first two to arrive, and they say, "Okay, well, we're, we're not we're going to please wait in the bar, have a drink or whatever." And as soon as the rest of your party gets here, let us know. I, I get that all the time. It, it, I guess I have no problem oh. with it. I understand why they do it. Totally reasonable. Yeah. Yep. No, no, thanks for calling. No, it, it, is, it is a totally reasonable thing. And I guess, you know, part of the lesson of this is maybe, you know, before people decide 
to to rush out and to you know play the race card and to accuse these businesses of doing this stuff if they do and look and I, I'm sure there are examples of this that, that are out there I, I'm sure there are all sorts of examples of pe- persons of color who've been you know denied seating or passed over or treated you know as second-class citizens and and and, and that's that's all well and good if that happens more than willing and to I think it's more than fair to, to go expose this and to post the stuff up on Yelp and you know make a big deal about about it, but at the same time, if it's gee, I'm assuming this is racism because they told me no, you have to wait till your whole party is here to get a table, and please you know, sit down and have have a drink. If that's if that's the whole basis of it, man, I, I mean, you're not doing yourself any favors if you walk around, you know, viewing racism where it doesn't exist, and you're certainly not doing this local business any favors. For those of you keeping score at home, uh, well, today is not the bloodbath in the stock market that yesterday was, where you had one of the largest drops in a couple of years. And it seems to me we're, we're saying that pretty much every week. Uh, the Dow, the Nasdaq is already in a bear market, which is 20% below its high. The S&P 500 and the Dow Jones are, if they're not in a bear market now, they're extremely close to it. Uh, Dow Jones down another Almost 182 points right now. NASDAQ is up slightly, but that's, again, after just a brutal bloodbath. And the, the problem is there, there, there's nowhere to go. You've got inflation that is running rampant. And what really hit the stock market yesterday was the fact that a lot of big retailers, for example, Walmart and Target, reported the fact that their earnings were down because they're paying more for, for workers, and yet their sales, uh, their, their sales are going down because people just don't have as much money to spend because of inflation. So you've got inflation. It's really, they're being whipsawed. The companies have to pay more and more to their employees. That That's fine. And yet people, because of the price increases that are happening, because of a variety of factors, you know, people don't have as much money to spend or their money doesn't go as far. Um, my wife was telling me the other day, she was at the supermarket yesterday. She came back and she said, okay, when you see this on the credit card, it was 95 bucks. And I said, well, what'd you get for 95 bucks? She said, Jeff, it's this little bag of groceries. It's, I, I got to tell you, I don't know how families five and six are making do nowadays. And then, of course, you've got to stop and put gasoline in your car. And gasoline is $4.50 or $4.60 a gallon and heading through the roof. But if you're wondering what's going on in the stock market, it's, it's, it's inflation and supply shortages and all that. But it's really inflation that's driving a lot of this. And the problem is there's no end in sight. <laughs> If you are wondering how to make the Hollywood left, you know, the loud celebrities, if you're wondering how to make them shut up, I, I've actually found a, a way to do that. You know, we're, we're talking about the Barbra Streisands of the world, the people who say, well, if George Bush is reelected, I'm moving to Canada, to which you say, OK, well, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. If Donald Trump is elected, I'm moving here or wherever. And of course, they're they're still around. That That's it. So if you wonder what it takes to make them shut up, well, I, I've got an idea. If you wonder why maybe recently you haven't heard much from, I don't know, Matt Damon or let's see, uh, Larry David or Jamie Foxx or Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian or Aston Kutcher or Reese Witherspoon or Gwyneth Paldrow or maybe even LeBron James. Well, I, I've got 
I've got one, actually two words for you. Why, why aren't we hearing much from them? Cryptocurrency. Uh, really interesting story. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a link to this and a couple other stories that are out there. Now, I have, I never, I'm not a financial advisor and I don't play one on the radio. I just simply say that there are some things that I would never get involved in. And if I don't understand a financial investment, I, I stay away from it. And in general, that has steered me well over my lifetime, which isn't to say that I haven't missed an opportunity here or there. I, I wish I was on the ground floor of Starbucks. It never occurred to me back when, you know, custom coffee was starting to really, you know, make inroads that, you know, people would be willing to spend four and five dollars for a cup of coffee. I, I didn't didn't get it. Okay, but but in general Having acknowledged some of those those failures, gee, I missed that opportunity. More often than not, I've done pretty well by just kind of sticking to stuff that I understand and, and things like that, which is why this whole craze around cryptocurrency, which is sort of an alternate form of, of money. You know, there's there's a whole myriad, hundreds of thousands of different forms of cryptocurrency out there. The most prominent one is called Bitcoin, but there, but there's all these others as well. And the basic premise is you 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 buy a Bitcoin, and it's it is just it is a unit of something that that has really no value other than what somebody else believes it is worth. For example, it's not like a share of stock in a company because the company actually makes something or offers a service. So you can say, hey, I'm going to invest in Nike because they're making tennis shoes and they're making clothing. And you can decide, gee, are, is their stuff good? And is there going, are going to people want to buy it or, or whatever? But, but that's not how cryptocurrency is. It's just purely an alternative form of currency. It is the ultimate speculation. And if you buy a Bitcoin, which is one of many cryptocurrencies, and you pay, well, at its height, what, a few months ago, it was going for like $67,000. You you pay $67,000, and you are purely hoping that there's somebody else that's out there that's going to think that it's worth more than $67,000, so they'll pay you seventy grand. To me, this has always sounded just like this, this giant Ponzi scheme, you know, this multi-level marketing where you get in at the beginning and you pay the guy $300, and then what happens is you sell... You know, you sell shares of the multi-level thing to 10 people, and they each give you 100 bucks. so that's how you get your money back. I, I've never understood CryptoCoin. It doesn't make any cryptocurrencies. It doesn't make any sense to me. And to me, again, it's just it's always struck me as this giant kind of Ponzi scheme, which isn't to say, I mean, if people, people want to gamble with their money, God bless them. I don't have a problem with that, but I like to go to Las Vegas where, as we say, you get a drink and a show along with, you know, losing your money. But one of the things is they try to make cryptocurrency more legitimate is you have seen a just rash of of ads um, recently. For example, um, this this last Super Bowl was kind of referred to as, as the Crypto Bowl because there were at least seven different companies that make um, different types of cryptocurrency that, that ended up running ads. And these are places, and many of them ended up featuring, you know, big-time, you know, names. I mean, the you, you had the commercials with uh, Matt Damon. You saw the, the commercial with Larry David, essentially mocking people who, who didn't, believe that people should be investing their money in cryptocurrency. Paris Hilton the same way. And the list goes on and on. All these celebrities who were paid a bunch of money to go out and try to convince you that you want to buy cryptocurrency. Interestingly, 
as the story I link to, says all these celebrities that were pushing cryptocurrency, not hearing much from them because the bottom has completely fallen out of the cryptocurrency market. If you spent $1,000 for a a portion of, of Bitcoin when Matt Damon was pushing it, Right now, your your investment is worth about four hundred and eighty one dollars, maybe five hundred and eighty one, somewhere in there. But you've lost about half your investment. Well, okay, nobody's asking Matt Damon. Hey, Matt, how do you feel about you know pushing this particular thing, causing people to lose all this money? So now all these celebrities. Um, somebody went out to Larry David's representative the other day and says, "How does Larry feel about this ad right now?" And it's like, well, we we have no comment about it. So I guess my big take on this, and I've got a link to the story if you follow me again on Twitter. It's at Jeff. Wagner 620 is, with all due respect, if you take your financial advice from Matt Damon and Larry Davis and Paris David and Paris Hilton, you should not be surprised if things do not go well. And at least right now, um, things are not going well in the crypto market at all. Now, I understand that the stock market is down. I understand the bond market is down. But at least they're they're making things. You know, if you've got an investment in, well, treasury bills or whatever, it's going to come back. If you've got an investment in, in some blue chip company, well, it's still producing something. Chances are it's going to come back at some point in time. Cryptocurrency, well, good luck. You know, there is an entire industry that's out there and, and that, that works in, in the advertising industry and what, what they do. There's people that spend their entire life out there figuring out how to make products look desirable in print advertising and in advertising that you see on television and all. And so if they're filming a commercial for a particular product, you can guarantee that that product is going to look the best it ever looks. I mean, that that's, that's just it. And I, I think most of us understand that that's kind of what, what comes with, with advertising, right? You know, we, we know that that's what the stuff is going to look like. Which brings me to the latest lawsuit that has been filed, class action lawsuit, against McDonald's and Wendy's, and Wendy's, all right? The, the lawsuit alleges that advertising for these products, particularly the TV advertising for both McDonald's and Wendy's, is, is a lie. That essentially it is deceptive and that the way they advertise various products is damaging consumers because you receive food which looks different then the food looks in the ads. Now, let me explain what, what happens here. Have you ever seen, just think about like the ads you see maybe from McDonald's or the ads you see from Wendy's. And you look at these and the, the burgers look really, really great and stuff like that. Then you go to the local Wendy's, you go to the local McDonald's or whatever the other burger doodle might be. And, and you get it. And, and yeah, it, it's it's the burger, but it doesn't quite look like the way the burger looked on, on TV. Okay, well, I've just kind of always assumed it's because, hey, it's it's advertising and they they make it look better. This lawsuit does not claim that the burgers that they are advertising are different as far as quality or composure than the ones that you get in the store. But here's what the lawsuit says. 
apparently, think about if you if you're making a hamburger at home, right? And and you've got the hamburger patty, and you put it on the grill. Let the time to grill out. You put it on the grill. Well, when when you have the hamburger patty, right? It it's bigger generally and fluffier than it is after you cook it, right? That's just what happens because when you cook it, it, it cooks down. So according to the lawsuit, in a lot of these advertisements, what they do is they take the hamburger patty, which is the same size as the hamburger patty that you get, but instead of cooking it all the way, they just kind of sear it. You know, they, they cook it to, like, rare. And what that does is it doesn't shrink it as much, if you're following me. You know, it, it doesn't shrink it as much. And so then after it's seared, so it looks like it's cooked, but it's it's still like really really rare. But it's got that that kind of searing look on it. Then they plate it, then they put it, you know, and then they they film it. And so the argument is, hey, that burger that you get when you go to McDonald's or when you go to Wendy's, that's yes, it's the same amount of meat. We're not saying that the ad is deceptive in that regard. But they cook it more before they serve it to you. So naturally, it's it's in a more shrunken version. But the point is, you are getting a, a more thoroughly cooked hamburger but that it's it's smaller or it appears to be smaller than the burger that you actually see on TV. So somehow some way you are being deceived. Now this in certain respects it's kind of like that old subway lawsuit from a couple years ago. Remember where they said subway averages offers you know foot long you know foot long sandwiches. And what the truth was is the bread that they start out with was really 12 inches a foot but then they put it in the oven and what happens is when you when you heat it up when you you make the bread it it shrinks it down a little bit so yeah you're, you're probably only getting 11 and a half inches but that's the way it works our number is 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line so i'm i'm reading my this story and i guess my reaction to this is you know this is just one of those reasons why people hate lawyers that that there, I I understand that you can have deceptive advertising that, that's out there that really, oh, okay, you know, we thought this thing was going one way and we thought this was how it works and it turns out that it's really just a piece of junk. All right, I, I get it. I understand that some advertising can be deceptive, but I guess the fact that I, I look at like the way they make the Wendy's burger look on TV and then it turns out that, well, you know, the one you get in real life doesn't quite look like that because it's more thoroughly cooked. It would never occur to me to believe that I was being ripped off. How about you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The burger, and apparently this is this this is legit. They don't cook it all the way through. Um, so essentially be rare. So it looks like it's, it looks like it's bigger than it actually is when you get it in real life. But it's still a McDonald's burger. It's still a Wendy's burger. 855-616-1620. Give me strength and save me from lawyers. Jeff, this is another example that some people just don't have enough constructive work to do. Well, that's it. You know, actually, I, I was talking about the story last night with my, my friend Alan. His comment was, okay, so the next lawsuit is, as you're driving into town and you see those those billboard advertisements for the strip clubs, should we be able to sue because you go in and some of the entertainers don't look exactly like the young women that are whose images are up on the billboards? It's the same sort of thing. In this case, what makes this so 
additionally so insane is the lawsuit doesn't say that, for example, what they're showing as like a Wendy's cheeseburger um, isn't a Wendy's cheeseburger, right? They're, they're acknowledging that, okay, this is the same amount of meat. It's just that they're saying, hey, it's deceptive because it's not cooked as thoroughly, so it looks like it's plumper. But if it starts out like as a quarter-pound patty, they're, they're not disagreeing that it's a quarter-pound. It's just the difference between when you fully cook it and it, it, it loses some of the fat or whatever, to which I'm saying, really, this is, this is fraud? Uh, Gianni in Montello, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, hey, listen, uh, to one degree or another, all advertising is, is deceptive. Um, that's what it's designed to do, to sell a product. And look, um, if you don't like the meal that you get at McDonald's, then don't go back yeah. or whatever whatever restaurant you, you choose to, to frequent. Um, but, you know, it's almost like the dumbing down of society where can't we make our own choices when yeah. we sit down with that first meal if we don't like it? Uh, I, I mean, come on. And, and yeah. the, the, the texture was right. Um, don't these people have other things to do with their time? Well, yeah, it, 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 this, is a, this is a first world problem, Jeff. And it, it, it definitely you know, is. No, thanks for the call, Jeff. When people whine about such things. Well, well no, and, and file lawsuits uh, about the, these types of things. And again, if the argument was, McDonald's is saying that it's an all-beef patty, and it turns out that it's not beef, that it's something different. Okay, maybe that's it, but that's not it. It's just like the way this patty is is made to look makes it look like it's a little bit different. Jeff, my dad worked at a hunt club that was frequently used to film Purina dog food commercials. The way they got the dogs to absolutely tear into the food is that they would smear bacon grease in the Purina, uh, Purina bowl and nothing in the competitor's bowl. You know, which one do you think that the dogs would tear into? Um, you know, your, your dog never got into that food like it's in the commercial. Yeah, I mean, that's, look, it, it's a commercial. It, it is advertising. And I appreciate at some point in time, you can cross the line and you can get into, you know, deceptive advertising. But I guess, I, I don't think too many people look at the stuff that they see on TV and, and think, oh, gosh, okay, there's this just beautiful model or a, an absolutely great-looking guy model who, who's there. And when I go and I, I buy those blue jeans, huh, those blue jeans just aren't going to fit me like they fit the young Fabio that's on TV. I mean, I'm, like, it's, I think I'm... I, I appreciate that, that that buying those blue jeans isn't going to make me look like the young Fabio. That ship has, well, I don't think that ship was ever in port, but if it ever was, it has certainly sailed by now. But that's just kind of the reality of this whole thing. And yet, again, this is the, this lawsuit that is out there claiming that, that people have been damaged as a result of this because you're receiving food that is much lower in value than what is being promised. And and that's what I don't understand. That it's lower in value. You're promised, you know, a quarter pound hamburger, okay? And you you get the quarter pound hamburger. And yes, it might not look exactly like it looked in the ads, but nevertheless, it's a quarter pound hamburger. And if you go to McDonald's, you know what that quarter pound hamburger is going to taste like. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, I was listening to Janie's News, like I always do, and she was talking about this recall involving hoverboards. And I was wondering how many people know. When, see, when I hear hoverboards, 
I, I first of all, I, I think to the old, you know, the Back to the Future movies where you know it was kind of like a skateboard that was would hover above the ground and you could get on it and you could go like that. So th- th- that's not what these are. We are not at the point. We are not living in the Jetsons era right now. So we're we're not all driving around in the these space cars and things like that. For those of you who don't know, a hoverboard is well. Remember the the, the things the the old segways which were that you'd have the two wheels and then you'd have a base that you'd stand on and then there was like a like a column that would come up and, and you'd hold you'd hold the hands of that kind of you'd you know hold on to it so that that was the segue well hoverboards are essentially imagine a segue except without the column and the handles it's just i, I what what you do is it it's like a bar and there's two wheels on either side of the bar, and there's spaces to put your feet. So you just, and then it's it's a motorized thing, so you can kind of drive around on the, these hoverboards, and it's controlled exactly. You have to balance yourself, and it's controlled by by your feet. And um, I, I I mean, it, it looks it's fine that it's that it's there, but it's also something that my guess is you fall off a lot till you get the hang of it. My guess is that. You know, even after you're you're motoring around on this thing, you probably still fall off once you've gotten the hang of this. And I'm, during the break, I was just kind of looking at like these recommendations about the best hoverboards to buy for kids. And there's ones you can get that have bigger wheels and smaller wheels and things like that. But I was listening to Jane talk about now there's this recall because some people are falling off the hoverboards. And I guess my reaction was, gee, no kidding. Because, again, I've never been on a hoverboard, and I doubt I'm going to be on a hoverboard. But that's kind of like saying, boy, we're recalling surfboards because when people were trying to ride the waves, they would fall off the, the surfboard. I mean, I guess I, I look at these these hoverboards, and there is a certain element of a, assumption of the risk on them. Because if you're cruising down the sidewalk and you hit a crack in the sidewalk or something, I, I could easily see how this would be dislodged. Or if you... I don't know, get your balance slightly screwed up and you lean too far forward or you lean too far back. I could see how you would end up slipping off them. And again, I, 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 I'm never going to be on a hoverboard. It, it's sort of like the, the scooters that, that you have. And, you know, gee, when, when we had the rental scooters in downtown Milwaukee, you'd always hear these stories about people who would wipe out because they're riding on the scooters and they hit the crack in the sidewalk or the bump in the road or whatever and they lose control. These these are sort of like scooters on steroids because at least with the scooters you've got something to balance yourself with and, and hold hold on to. With the hoverboard, it's just you know you're it's you're you're standing on it and presumably I guess you're attached somehow strapped onto it. But it, it's <laughs> that's pretty much it. Nothing to balance yourself for. And I, I you know I think that it's one of those things where. You know, if you're letting your if you're riding a hoverboard or you're letting your kids ride the hoverboard, it's kind of a little bit of like buyer beware because I guess I would not be surprised if people ultimately end up falling off these particular things. Okay, a lot of ground I want to cover on the last hour of today's program. I want to start off with perhaps a lighter topic. The up until a couple years ago, the largest selling weekly magazine 
in the United States. Now, remember the days where you know you'd actually have the newsstands and and you'd come and there'd be like a hundred different glossy magazines that would be out, and there'd be there'd be magazines like Time and uh, Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report and Life Magazine and all the, these different things. Well, for years and years and years, actually up until 2018, the largest selling weekly magazine in the country. Now, think about what that is. Think about what that would be. Well, I'll give you three guesses, but the first two don't count. The, the was People Magazine. And, you know, at its, at its heyday, you know, People Magazine had a circulation of about 3.4 million copies every, every week. And its sales, it, it didn't always sell all that, but it was really very, very much dependent on who was on the cover. Because that, that's what they found. Depending on, you know, if you had some, you know, celebrity that was really hot on the cover, that by hot, I mean, you know, popular at the time or whatever, you could see that circulation would would spike. Um, also, on the other hand, if it was one that people didn't care that much about, well, it wouldn't necessarily sell as, one, as well. For example, I'm looking um, the May 2nd cover that had Prince Harry on it. That sold only about 160,000 copies. Um, let's see, March 14th, Lizzo cover had 125,000 copies. Um, one of the worst selling copies in people's half century history. Um, others, you know, have done, you know, differently. So it, it really depends on like who it is, is that they put on the cover. In any event, this has been, like I said, for years and years, it was the most popular selling magazine at the newsstands and as far as circulation and it would seem to me remember you you'd go into doctor's offices and everybody had people's magazine people magazine that was there well what's happened is people have stopped reading magazines to begin with the fact that you have a lot of offices for example that have closed down is reflective of the fact that they, they don't, you know, you don't need it. It's not like you have a waiting room where you're going to have all the tables and stuff that's out there. A lot of places don't just flat out don't do that anymore. But there's a couple articles out there that say that the new publisher of People magazine may, in fact, be discontinuing the, the, the print edition of the magazine and going exclusively to an online version. Why? Well, it, it costs a ton of money, of course, to you know, print a magazine like People Magazine every week, and you've got the glossy paper, that costs it. And then it, it just like with having to deliver a newspaper to people's houses, there's all this cost that goes in with having to deliver the the magazines. And, and then you, know, you deliver it, and then whatever you don't sell, they, it, they end up coming back. So looking and putting this all together, uh, there's reports that it, it might, that there are plans that people has to, to have to scrap the weekly print edition. Now, they haven't said anything definitively, but they're talking about, you know, maybe people is going to at least go completely digital. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I used to, I would say, I, I was never a reader of people unless I was, again, sitting in a barber shop or something and there wasn't anything there to read while I was waiting. But but I, I used to consume Lots of print magazines. I mean, I, I can remember having a weekly subscription to Time and to Newsweek 
And, you know, I, I would wait for those magazines to come. Sports Illustrated would be another one that I, I liked. I'd get, I used to get, I would say, five or six magazines a week. I can remember, you know, in, in another life, I can remember, you know, going to the, the drugstore and, you know, watching my, my wife pick out five, six, seven magazines. She, you know, there was all these different kind of magazines that she liked, the cooking magazines and a couple of the news magazines and all this. And I can remember making like weekly runs to the drugstore to get these magazines. Um, nowadays, they're still out there, but you don't see them in any sort of big numbers as more and more people move away from it. Our number, 855-616-1620. If magazines like, say, People just disappear or go online, are you going to miss them, or is this just the inevitable product of, of the time? You're going to miss those glossy magazines because if people can't make it, I don't know that anything's going to be able to make it. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. You're just tuning in. People Magazine, which for years and years and years was the number one selling magazine until 2018. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the covers that they had. The, the, the Princess Diana cover, particularly right after her death, that was the biggest selling magazine in People history. Now they're selling a fraction of the, the number of, of actual editions that they're selling. And the reports are that they're getting ready to kill People Magazine. By kill, I mean just go online with it. Now this has been happening for a lot of magazines that you might remember. Remember Entertainment Weekly or In Style or Health or Eating Well? Well, those, those of all, those magazines have are, are no longer produced in magazine form. Oprah, um, her O Magazine, that stopped printing two years ago. Marie Claire, the big women's magazine that had been um, around for like almost 30 years, that stopped printing, you know, last year. Some of the other magazines have had their frequency cut back dramatically. Elle and uh, Cosmopolitan, Vogue, Vanity Fair, all these magazines that, you know, I, I think a lot of people grew up with. They're just, they're just, they're either being eliminated or cut back dramatically. But if it happens to people, I guess the point is, you know, could it happen to just anybody? Because that's been the dominant thing. Here's a text, Jeff. Um, I deliver mail. On my rail mail route, I have 455 customers. I would say I deliver no more than 10 People magazines, Sports Illustrated, and Time magazines a week. And I don't know if they mean 10 total between the three or 10, you know, of 10 people, 10 Sports Illustrators or 10 times. But but the bottom line is you're you're not and people just aren't reading those magazines anymore. Jeff, I still still subscribe to five of my favorite magazines and will continue to do so. The only magazines I get regularly is I'm a member of the Wisconsin State Bar so they they put out a bar magazine that comes out once a month and I kind of glance through that but it's not like I'm paying extra for it Um, and then I, I do get like Golf Digest and Golf Magazine, but that those those are included in like if I belong to the Wisconsin Golf Association for handicap purposes and stuff like that, it's included, I believe, in your membership. So I'm I'm not paying for separate subscriptions. It just comes there. Jeff, about five years ago I had home delivery of Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, Newsweek, This Week uh, the week, that is, Maximum, Playboy, National Geographic, MAD, Cigar Aficionado, Travel, Entertainment World, and GQ. 
up to this year, the only ones mailed to me were cigar aficionado and travel. The travel one stopped printing in March. Cigar is the last one standing. And you know what? I really, I don't miss them all. Well, that's that's kind of it. Jeff, I'm old school. I subscribe to a bunch of magazines that are mailed to me. As soon as they go online, um, only which some of them have done, I simply won't sit online and read a magazine. It's just me. I want to hold it in my hands when I read it. And I understand that that's how a lot of people feel, but it's not the... You know, it's it's not the future, Jeff. I'm still mad they canceled my Mad Magazine. <laughs> but I don't I don't remember the last time I'd even seen a Mad Magazine that was out there. But this is this is just what's going on here, and this is just what the future of this industry is. So if you're one of the folks, um, if you're one of the folks that just likes those old hard copies of magazines, enjoy it while they last, because like I say, if people bites the dust, seems to me that there's nothing that's safe. Jeff, I would miss magazines greatly. I enjoy reading Guns and Ammo and Field and Stream. Guns and Ammo is still going strong. Field and Stream is no more. Yep, it is definitely the end of an era. Jeff, major magazines and newspapers going from print to online is a definite inevitability. Print is slowly dying, in my opinion. It's very sad to see, but I also understand why it's dying. I think the more we depend on online um, sources, the the lazier we get. Yeah, it's just, I mean, when you come to magazines, the conversation about magazines is the same as the conversation that you have about newspapers. You have an incredible cost to produce them, the paper, the print, the you know people that you have to pay to to produce all that and then the delivery system that you have to have you know you know the, the trucks and getting them into the various stores and things like that those those are all incredible expenses that you don't have in the online situation plus you've got your costs that are going up plus as your readership declines whether it's newspapers or these magazines a big portion of your revenue doesn't just come from you know the people who, who buy it on the newsstand or subscribe to it it comes from advertising dollars but as fewer and fewer people read the print edition or buy the magazine that that there's less money that they can charge advertisers or advertisers are switching to other forms of media. Plus, you've got that Internet thing that's out there. And all of this, it, it just it whipsaws the print industry. And I I will tell you, will there always be some weekly magazines? Probably. Will there be many? I, no way. I just don't see it happening. <laughs> Just because something is gone doesn't necessarily mean that it's gone for good. We were talking about the demise of some of these magazines and things like that. Five years ago, Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus said, it's it, we're, we're done. We're, we're ending you know, the circuses. It is the end of an era, and after decades and decades and decades, we've just decided that it's time to pack up the big tent and, and close down because of the costs and you know, different interests and things like that. Part of it was also they were getting pressure from some of the animal rights activists who you know, didn't like the fact that you had elephants and you had lions and tigers and things like that in the circuses because they thought it was cruelty to animals and you'd have all these demonstrations. And so the, the, the big top essentially shut down. So we've been pretty much w- without the circuses that we remember. Well, they're, they're starting to come back. I mean, kind of quietly, Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus, they're... After 146 years, 
they're they're now starting to make a little bit of a comeback. Apparently, in Las Vegas is one of the places, and then a couple places, for example, in like Ethiopia and Mongolia, they're starting to say, "Hey, maybe we can come back with the circus, and maybe we can re envision it." Now, the the new edition of the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus still isn't going to have animals. So, if you're used to the the horses and the lions and the elephants and things like that, they're they're not going to do that. What they're looking at is saying, "Can we do?" something more along the lines of like a, I, I would describe it like as a Cirque du Soleil thing if you've ever you know seen the Cirque du Soleil shows so they're, they're trying to reinvent the circus uh, again with the ap- acrobats and those type of performers and then you know maybe take that on the road I I mean I, I never tell people you know what to spend their money on and stuff but to me you know you've got the Cirque du Soleil and you've got those sort of things when I think Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, I think the traditional big tops. I think the clowns. I think the you know the animal acts and the acrobats and all that sort of stuff. Just to try to re envision it without a lot of those key elements. To me, it's almost kind of like why bother? But we'll see. But in any event, even if People Magazine, for example, disappears, that doesn't mean it's always going to be gone. You know, Barnum and Bailey, uh, the Ringling Brothers Circus, that's disappeared. Now people are considering bringing that back in some form or another. The numbers for President Joe Biden are absolutely brutal. And I understand there's some people who say, ah, we, we can't trust polls, don't believe polls. Well, I, I've always, I, I think I think polls have been wrong, particularly when, it, particularly when it comes to Donald Trump. And I've been saying that for the longest time. And some people say, oh, you can't, that doesn't mean anything. Well, it does. I think for some reason there's something about Trump that I think there's Trump supporters that either intentionally lie to pollsters or they, they don't want to admit they're Trump supporters when they go out and vote. So Donald Trump has traditionally performed at elections better off than he has polled. But as a general rule, I, I think polling, Trump notwithstanding, I, I think it's, it is it is accurate. Sometimes it's not you know pinpoint, and sometimes I think you see that the pollsters miss things. But you know when there appears to be a consensus, I, I think you know you, you have to take that uh, with you have to take that seriously. The numbers, the approval numbers for Joe Biden, are brutal. They are absolutely brutal. Uh, I'll just give you a, a sampling of these are some of the polls that are out, and just we'll just go back the the last week. Okay, uh, two released today. NPR poll: Joe Biden's job performance, forty percent approve, fifty six percent disapprove. That he's underwater by sixteen points. Ouch. Rasmussen reports approval. 41% disapproval, 57 underwater by 16 points. Ouch. Yesterday, um, Quinnipiac poll, um, approved 38, disapproved 55, underwater by 17. Ouch. Yesterday, Reuters, approved 42, disapproved 50, down by 8, underwater. That's the high point for the Biden administration right now. Uh, Politico morning poll yesterday, approved 44, disapproved 54, minus 10. Let's see, uh, dot, dot, dot. Then you've got uh, job approval from Sunday, NBC News, approved 42, disapproved 54. That's down 12. He's underwater by 12 points. Uh, then last Thursday, I'm just looking at the last week here, Monmouth poll, approved 39, disapproved 56. That's uh, underwater by 17 points. It's 
it, it's it's difficult to imagine worse numbers than that. I mean, seriously, it it it, it is. I mean, you're you're not at, at Richard Nixon Watergate type of numbers, but you're you're starting to get that way. And of course, you you understand what's going on. There's the the border is out of control. You've got the economy that is just in in the tank. You've got the stock market which is plunging. You've got inflation which is running rampant. You've got you know the different shortages which were there. You've got you know gasoline which is going to be probably over five dollars a gallon on average in this country. You know by by the time the summer driving season gets started. And nobody has any idea of where this is going to stop. Now, I understand that Biden is not up for reelection for another year and a half. I think it's pretty clear that the midterms are going to be an absolute disaster for Democrats. And the only question is, is it going to be a disaster or will it be that absolute disaster? And, and so, you know, we won't know that till November. But I bring this all up because in spite of these terrible poll numbers in spite of the fact that Joe Biden right now is 79 years old and in 19 in 2024 he would be 80 he's 79 he would be 81 years old stories are out there that apparently Joe Biden is telling people that he fully intends to run for re-election and that this, I mean, the, the stories that I'm looking at don't say that this is just something that, hey, he, he doesn't want to become a lame duck. There's no reason that he would say, well, I'm not going to run now. But but he's he's really intent. He wants the job for a, a second term. Um, he wants to go in there and he he wants to continue doing this. And, and he's focused on on the future. And so he's thinking, hey, I'm going to run again. And, of course, this is causing some consternation among Democrats who are saying, my God, look at what's going on right now. And we understand that, you know, 2024 can be a lot different than 2022. We, we understand that things can change dramatically and maybe the midterms won't be as much of a, of a debacle as we think they are. And, you know, maybe the country will really turn around. But when you have poll numbers like this, when, when the numbers are consistently bad as this, it's really, really tough to come back from this. It, it just it just is. It's not saying that you can't do this, but clearly the country is in a sour mood, and Joe Biden hasn't been able to, to change that. And the longer that COVID goes on, the, the more... The, the more that's going to drag him down as well, because he got a bump in the beginning of his administration because, you know, COVID numbers decreased. And now the COVID numbers have gone back up again. And it looks like, you know, we're going to be dealing with COVID for another year or two. OK, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Run, Joe, run. Do you think Joe Biden, and I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, do you think at the age of 81, he should run again for president of the United States. And I guess the answer is yes, no, or it's too soon to tell. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think for Joe Biden to run, it would be electoral suicide. I think that he won two years ago because, and he did win. He did win. He won two years ago, though, because he was the alternative to Donald Trump. And I don't think people so much were voting for Joe Biden as they were making a statement that they didn't want four more years of Donald Trump. Well, I think if Biden runs again, he's going to find that that's going to be the attitude of the American public. And I think from the perspective of Democrats, I think it would be insane to 
I don't know, nominate him for a second term at his age, given unless there is some sort of dramatic change over the course of the next year or two that flips these poll numbers. Otherwise, I mean, you're talking about a presidency that is going to be, well, it's Jimmy Carter, and it might be Jimmy Carter on steroids with regard to a failed presidency. 855-616-1620. Do you want to see Biden run again? We discuss. 855-616-1620. The, the poll numbers, the approval numbers on Joe Biden, and I understand you can discount polls if you want, but I think a lot of smart people don't, don't do that, are, are just brutal. I mean, I, I went through a list of the ones in the last week, and the, the best one is he's underwater approval versus disapproval by eight points. But in many of them, it's 15, it's 16, it's 17 points. That is, you know, the, the difference between approval and disapproval. And, and that is historically, it is, that's a recipe for just electoral disaster. But yet Joe Biden is apparently talking very seriously about running again um, back in 2024. Now that's, you know, who knows where we are in 2024, but he would be 81 at the time he runs. Okay, so do you want to see Joe run? Let's start with Kenneth. Kenneth, you're first. Good afternoon. Kenneth. Okay, lost Kenneth. Let's talk to Carrie. Carrie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, to me, this is like a poker game. He has a very weak hand, and he's in the pot. He's going to go all in. He's going to lose his money, and he's going to take the Democratic Party with him. I think what's talking is his ego and not his electoral intelligence. And uh, the elders in the Democratic Party are going to have to talk him out of it and come up with a viable candidate to run against whoever the Republicans put up. We don't know who that might be right now. And it possibly could be Trump trying to run again. Yeah. We don't know who else. But, but they're putting the Senate and the House of Representatives at risk. No, I, no, that nice call. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's one of these deals where it, it let, let's, let's put on our, if you're a Democrat hat, if you're a Democrat and you're looking at these poll numbers and you look, I, I understand, you know, you, you can, what you say publicly is, oh, I, I can't believe he's like that, that guy on the radio is, is liking him to Jimmy Carter. Yeah, this is this this is Jimmy Carter redo. There's just no question about it. But if you're Democrats and you want to try to retain the White House and, and the best you can come up with is is 81 year old Joe Biden. And I, I'm sorry if some people think this is ageist. I, I say this about Republicans, too. At some point in time, you, you've got to find a next generation of of candidates that, that is going to end up emerging. And I, I understand Joe Biden got elected because he wasn't Trump. Let, let's just face it. That is the absolute reality. And I understand that there's some people who are just in complete denial who are saying, well, all the problems we have are, are not the fault. You can't blame any of it on Biden, to which I say nuts I, to that. I think that, you know, Joe Biden has pretty much, with the exception of how he's handled the war in Ukraine, uh, with that exception, I think pretty much every one of his instincts has been wrong. That's why I agree with the Wall Street Journal that calls him the, the Costanza president, named after George Costanza, the Seinfeld character, who once realized that all his instincts were wrong, and what he should really do is do the opposite of, of what his instincts tell him. And I, I think when it comes to inflation, and when it comes to gas prices, and when it comes to the border, pretty much everything Biden has done has been wrong, and it has contributed to getting us in the situation where we're in. Now, some people can be in denial and say, oh, it's just not fair, but you, you can't look at those poll numbers and not see it otherwise. I guess I just think for Democrats to renominate Joe Biden, 
it would be politically suicide. Can't I mean? And I'd say to Republicans, I'd have said this about Republicans. I think to renominate Donald Trump would be political suicide as well. Isn't it time to find that next generation of of candidates, the people that are going to be like look at least looking a little bit more to the future? I mean, for God's sake, can't we find candidates in their sixties to to run for office? Let's talk to Bill. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. I'm 81, and there's no way I would want to do a job like that. I think that's uh, one of the most important jobs, if not the most important job in the world to have. you got to be sharp. You can't be old. I mean, I... Uh, no, I respect I'm aging, what you're saying. I realize yeah. it. Yeah. And he doesn't. I, and the Democrats, they got such a problem, they don't have anybody... The only Democrat that they've got that I think would have a chance is Joe Manchin, <clears throat> and they sure aren't going to. No, they're not going to. They won't realize that. No, that's not. Thanks so, for calling. No, no, you're right. That that's not going to happen. Whoever, whoever the the next breed of of Democrat is in all likelihood going to be. And it's not going to be Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders is even older than Joe Biden. Although he hasn't ruled out running, but it, it's going to be somebody that's going to try to take the country to the left. Well, one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of years is the country, you know, moved to the left, and and that hasn't worked out. Um, what you know, we always talk about about politics, and I've been doing this job long enough to say that you know there's. There is a pendulum that swings, and I, I, I've seen it. Okay, 1994, you had the Republican Revolution, and, and you had the Republicans take over the House and Senate, and then they overreach, and it swings back. And, you know, you, you've seen this. I mean, I, I saw what happened, you know, to uh, President 2008 when Barack Obama rolls in, and, you know, Democrats win everything, and everybody's saying, okay, this is going to be this dominant sea change, and this is going to move to the left. Well, 2010, all right, you, you have the Republicans. I mean, there is a revolution and the Republicans swing back and they win. You, you see this stuff going, and, and politics tend to be cyclical. And, you know, I, I think over the last couple of years, partly in reaction to, to Donald Trump, then, and he made just a lot of enemies and people were motivated, and I think now you're seeing the other side that's going to be incredibly motivated, and you're seeing, like I say, a lot of the Biden policies that just haven't turned out. So I guess I understand why Joe Biden wouldn't be publicly saying, look, I'm, I'm not going to run again when I'm 81 years old, um, and I'm in the face of all the, these awful poll numbers and stuff. I understand why you wouldn't say that, because then you immediately make yourself a lame duck. At the same time, if there's not people telling him privately, Mr. President, you're one and done. This is great. You know, declare victory and go home. If there's not people telling him that, I think they're making a, a huge, huge mistake, just like if there aren't people on the Republican side saying to Donald Trump, Mr. Trump, former President Trump, you had a great run, and and maybe it's time to let somebody else now you know take up that mantle. And for both of you guys, as you move into your 80s, here, just find a golf course or find a beach or find something and enjoy yourself and, and let other people worry about how we're going to keep Russia under control. From the perspective of somebody who may very well be talking about the 2024 election, I certainly hope it's not Biden-Trump redo for so many reasons. But poll numbers are brutal, but apparently Joe Biden hasn't gotten the message as of yet.